to talk about spiritual disciplines. Um, uh, I'm reminded, uh, actually, a, a number of times in preparing sermons of uh, this story. It might be a legend. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's about uh, Gandhi, Mahatma, not the other Gandhi that you're thinking of, but uh, Mahatma Gandhi was uh, approached by this woman, this mother. She traveled a long distance, and, uh, and she had her son with her. And she said, Gandhi, which I guess is Mr. Gandhi. Some, she, she, she approached him and she said, Gandhi, uh, now, will you please tell my son not to eat sugar? Because he just, he eats all this sugar and it's terrible for him. Will you, will you tell him not to? And Gandhi says, come, come back in two weeks. And so she travels all this distance back to her house and, and then two weeks later comes all the way back to him and Gandhi looks at the little boy and says, Stop eating sugar. And the mother was like, that, that's it. I come to you, oh great Gandhi, and I get, that's, that's what you said. Why, why did I have to go all the way home, wait two weeks, and come back for that? And he said this, two weeks ago, I, I still ate sugar. Now, when it comes to spiritual disciplines and, and me standing up here and, and Dwight and Thomas, and we talk about these things, we are not standing in front of you as people that don't eat sugar anymore. We don't stand up here as people that have these things down, and we just practice them, and we do them so well, and so we come up here, and we appeal to you to be like us and do these things like we do them. And I feel that especially on this topic of prayer. And so what we're going to do is is we're going to look... um, to a man. We're, we're going to look uh, to this man in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. And that's, that's where we're going to be spending our time tonight. Um, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Nehemiah. If you, if you hit Psalms, it's a, it's a little bit further to your left. Um, but we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 1. As you're making your way there, uh, just a, a quick thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in, in the history of Israel, Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The city has been destroyed. The, the gates, the, the, the doors like set on fire. The whole place has been rubble. And Nehemiah is hearing about this for the first time. And so we're going we're gonna to look at his prayer tonight. And we're going to consider what he believes about God. Because here's something that, that I've noticed. When we pray, what we think about God, our true theology, what we think about God, comes out. For better or for worse. What we believe about God, what we think about Him, our theology, truly, honestly comes out when we pray. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah and what what he prays. And we're going to ask ourselves if we believe those things, and if we can and if we will pray like that. So if you would, please look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 3. And let us listen very carefully. For this is the word of God. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile 
is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you, even I, And my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant, Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies. I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Let's pray. O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome, we we ask that you would teach us now through your spirit you would open our eyes, that you would confront us, Lord, that you would challenge us and change us to be more like your Son, our Savior Jesus. We pray these things in and for his name. Amen. So Nehemiah hears the news about Jerusalem, and he turns to the Lord in prayer. And, and he begins, and, and, and we're just going to walk through a couple of things that, that Nehemiah declares. All right? And again, we're going to be asking this question, do, do I believe those things, and, and can I pray, and will I pray like that? And the first thing in, in verse 5, great is God. He is, he is great. He is Lord. He, he uses the personal name of God. Yahweh, you are Yahweh, God of heaven. So God of heaven is kind of this uh, uh, generic name that different uh, religions all over were using for God. And he says that the God of heaven is Yahweh. So Yahweh, Israel's God, is the only God. And so he appeals to him first like that. And he says, you are great and awesome. Some of your translations might say, you are great and terrible. That's a big statement. (laughs) 
So we, we might need to clarify that. What, what does he mean? You are great and you are terrible. Maybe a, a better way to understand that is you are great and you are terrifying. See, he brings up this covenant and, and later on in the prayer, and he says that you told us that if we, if we don't obey you, if we disregard you, if we go after our own way, you will scatter us. And you did. You followed through on that. The suffering, the great suffering that, that he is hearing about, he, he attributes that to this terrifying God. You are great and you are terrifying. And he believes that. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, the first thing that he recognizes is that he is great and powerful over all. He controls all of these things. First, that the greatness of God. The second thing that he moves to is that he keeps covenant. That covenant that he kept where, where he said he would be steadfast in his covenant. Nehemiah says, you, you've been faithful to that. You are great and you are faithful. You are constant. Everything around us seems so transient. Things fall apart. The governments change. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why it's so difficult uh, I find it to understand Old Testament history because it's talking about this person being in charge and then it's somebody else's name and then it's somebody else's name. It's like, I don't, it's really hard for me to get a, a handhold anywhere on, in this story to know what's going on. And that's because the, these powers are just so transient and he is looking, and, and this, is, this is someone, it, it ends here that he's the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. And he's saying that that's, that's just a man. You, you are Lord, God of heaven. You are above all. You are great. You are awesome. And you are faithful. You are faithful in your covenant. And then the next thing that he moves to is that you are steadfast in your love. That you, you actually love us even when we are being disobedient and we are forgetting you and we are going after other gods and we are running like fugitives from your love you are steadfast in your love. He confesses those, those three things about God. And then he moves his attention. And, and he confesses, he's honest about who he is. In verse 6, he, he begins that, that he is sinful. That, he, that he, is, he is not perfect in these things. That he is broken. He acknowledges his brokenness before the great and powerful God. Then he moves into how he has not been obedient, nor has Israel, but he, he gets specific. He identifies himself and he says, we haven't been faithful and I haven't been faithful. Me and my father's house, we have sinned. And not just like against humanity, like I'm a bad person and it hurts community. Like we have sinned against you. Transgression has been against you. Which is another acknowledgement of the seat of power of the Lord. That sin is not just a communal bad. is an affront to God himself. And he acknowledges that. So really these things that he has, he has acknowledged about God. That God is great and God is powerful and God is steadfast in covenant and steadfast in love. He, he's going through the list and saying, I am not those things. I am sinful. 
I've been unfaithful. I have not loved as I ought. Really, all these things that you are, I'm just not those things. But then he appeals to something. He moves his attention there in verse 8, where he goes back to the promises of God. And as I've said many times uh, about the importance of remembering, yeah, well, just, just note that he said that and, and access the fact that I've brought that up like a hundred times every time I get up here. So, uh, but, but he says, remember. And then of all the things that he says to remember, he says, remember how you said that if we're unfaithful, you will scatter us? Remember that. But also remember that if we repent, if we return to you, if, if we see our own sin and we turn in repentance to you, you said you would restore us. And we need you to remember that. We, we need you to remember that it, when you made this covenant with us, that, that if we saw our failure and came back to you, you would restore us. You see, he prays the promise of God. He prays according to God's word. He prays first about the character of God, who God is, which is testified to in God's word. And then he prays according to, what, to who he is. He, he, he prays acknowledging honestly who he is, which is testified to in his word. And then he prays the promises of God. And he, he moves through all of this and he, he appeals to the Lord and his mercy. So that, that's kind of the, the quick flow through Nehemiah's prayer. So then the question comes, do you pray like this? And we're we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cut to the heart of it just early on here. I mean, do, do you? This isn't going to be like one minute of application at the end where you're like, ah, I'm going to feel bad. I already know, like some of you are really going to not like a lot of the things that I have to say. And the reason that I know that, I don't like a lot of the things that I'm going to say. All right? So we're going to be in this together. All right? We can complain together. You see, do we pray like this? Do we pray honestly about who God is and who we are? And do we pray according to the promises of God? So then we have to ask the question, since we're, I'm going to implicitly answer most often no, that's going to be my answer. You can jump on board with that if that's you too. So I'm going to say no, I don't always pray like that. So why not? Why don't I pr- pray like that? And, and I've, I've got a couple of different ideas uh, why. And, and first off, I think I don't pray like this, and maybe you don't either sometimes, because I doubt some of the things that Nehemiah believes. See, I I doubt that he is great, and that he is terrifying. I doubt that he is all-powerful, which leads me to, sometimes I doubt that he is able. So one of the reasons why I don't pray in a circumstance that, that I'm facing Why I don't pray like that is because I don't believe he's able to do anything about what's in front of me. And so I just need to buck up, follow the Godfather's advice. You can be a man, all right? 
I don't know what to do, Godfather. You can be a man, you know? Like, okay, so I, I follow the, the sola bootstrapia. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I, I find my way, and I'm just going to be determined enough to just get whatever's in front of me taken care of. And I neglect that God is able. And I foolishly think that I am. That's even worse. The only thing worse than thinking that God isn't able to do something is to think that I can. That's not going to get me where I want to be going. And it's going to take me there fast. So this unbelief, I I doubt that he is able or I doubt that he is faithful. I think that I'm going to come to him maybe recognizing my own sin. And I'm going to doubt that he and his covenant love will accept me. Why would he listen to me? This week's been really bad. Why would he listen to me? Like, I've made a lot of mistakes this week. Maybe I'll go to him when I've cleaned up a little bit. When I've been performing a little bit better, then I'll go to him. Maybe if I have a couple of days, just two, just one day where I read my Bible. If I, maybe after I read my Bible for one day consecutively, then I'm gonna, I can go to him in prayer and then it will be acceptable. I doubt that he's faithful. And then one of the biggest of all, I, I doubt that he loves me. That really, in all my mess and all my brokenness, and, and even when I, I keep in mind the cross, and I still wonder if he loves me, So doubt as a reason for not praying like that. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther, uh, this is hard to believe, but he had a barber. If you've seen any pictures of him, you'd think he he must just fall down on near sharp things a lot. But but he he had a barber, and his barber asked Luther, he said, said, how do I pray? How, how, do I, how am I diligent with something like the discipline of prayer? And so Luther wrote uh, to him uh, this little, it was published later, but this little pamphlet on, on how to pray. And it's excellent. I mean, if you, if you, it's really short and it can be, it's very devotional, it's very helpful. And so I don't, maybe go to your barber and find it. I don't know how those are distributed now, but, uh, but it, it's a really helpful little guide on prayer. And, uh, and one of the things that he said is that when, when we are doubting, one of the places that we can go is to the Lord in prayer. One of the primary places we should go is to the Lord in prayer. He said this, In the listening silence, the Holy Spirit himself preaches here. And one word of his sermon is far better than a thousand of our prayers. Many times I have learned more from one prayer than I have learned from much reading and speculation. That we would grow in our faith when we just draw near to Him. That those doubts wouldn't just be um, met with just an answer. Because, because often we don't just need an, an explicit, oh, well, uh, God is faithful. Go and be well. You know, it, or it's not just somebody saying, oh, no, God loves you. You know, that's all you need. Just the, no, we, we need to enter into prayer. 
and meet with him, to draw near, and he would draw near to us, and he preaches to us. And one word of his sermon, one word, Luther says, can teach us more than we could ever speculate to learn. The other thing, another reason why I don't pray like that, like Nehemiah, and maybe it's the same for you, and and that's neglect. Outright neglect. You see, we... And some of, the, some of that comes across just as busyness. I'm just so, I'm just so busy. And, and here Luther, Luther responds to the barber saying, uh, don't fall into the delusion that you would actually tell yourself, I will pray in an hour. Because you won't pray in an hour. See, we, 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 just, we lie to ourselves about this busyness that we have. And really, if, if you are looking at your day and you are so busy that you can't set aside this kind of time, I'm going to venture to say, and this is just a a guess from me, I'm going to venture to say that you are filling your time with things you don't need to be filling your time with. You, You have some commitment somewhere in there. I have some commitment somewhere in my schedule that I don't need to be doing. And it might be good. And it might be helpful and beneficial and kind. But you know, when we say that we're too busy, like you, your computer testifies against you. Your phone, the blogs that you read or you write, Angry Birds, like something, something testifies against you in your life that says you have time. So, so don't, don't deceive yourself like that. Don't deceive yourself. Because when we neglect prayer, it denies what we say we believe. You see, that's where, just like our prayers, like that, that's the format where what we really believe about God, our true theology comes out, the same is true in our neglect of prayer. Our neglect, our silence of not praying testifies to what we believe about God. That can be hard to hear. It's been hard for me to hear. Guard yourselves carefully, Luther says, against those false, deluding ideas that tell you, wait a little while. First, I must attend to this or that. Uh, Another reason, a third reason, and this is is a little bit stickier. Um, Another reason why sometimes we are neglecting prayer, why, why that's just not a priority for us and not something that we go after, is our resistance towards legalism. All right? It's, it's our resistance to legalism. And just to, to give just kind of a, a quick snapshot of, of legalism, that would be behavior that is not acted out from grace. Anything that we do that is not coming out of faith in Christ. Anything that we do that's trying to apprehend and obtain God's grace. That's legalism. And so things like church attendance or church membership, tithing, even prayer and Bible study. Like if we say, if you don't do X, 
God won't accept you. He will not give you grace. That's, that's the structure for legalism. But, and, and our demographic is, is so aware of that lie, as, as we should be, that we then start to neglect these really important things of obedience. And we, we neglect these things, like church attendance, or membership, or tithing, or prayer, or Bible study, because we so closely tie, tie in, if I do this, that's how I get grace. Okay, that's wrong. But you are refusing obedience. See, discipline celebrates what God has done in us through His grace. That's that's why we've gone through these four things. Not not because these are just new obligations that we need to take on, but it celebrates what God has accomplished through the cross. Not what He's accomplished through your behavior modification. It's what He has accomplished through the cross of Christ. And it's been applied to you. It is alive in you. And therefore, you can live that out. Celebrate it with your obedience to Him. And we are denying ourselves of that celebration. See, we we cannot confuse discipline with law. Discipline is grace lived out. Obedience is grace lived out. And some of you might even be disagreeing with some of the things I said because it, it, it is sticky and it gets really confusing and we want to bow up so quickly against legalism. We want to bow up against this idea that we have to earn our salvation or earn God's grace and favor. And that's, that's right. You should bow up against that because that's wrong. But don't let that fight against legalism turn into a neglect of obedience and discipline and devotion. Discipline is lived out from faith. And so applying this into our understanding of the discipline of prayer, prayer should celebrate what God has done and has accomplished through the cross and what He is continuing to do in sanctifying us in our walk with Him. This biblical discipline of prayer this drawing near to God himself. Paul puts that, that that is something that we should just hunger for. Every time he talks about prayer in in, uh, his letters to these different churches in the New Testament, every time he brings it up, he's talking about being in prayer constantly. Now, not this obligation, legalism, law, cold, distant prayer. He's talking about constantly seek after and hunger after the Lord. Now, an example of, of the stark difference. Um, as, I was, as I was working through this this week, I, I, I remembered um, Franny and Zoe, this book, J.D. Salinger. Um, and, and there's this character, Franny, who she gets um, really focused on this idea, this concept of praying continually. And it, it's just like her burden. She just takes this on, and she does a lot of reading, a lot of mystical reading. And she's trying to explain... Habitual prayer, constant prayer to her brother, Lane. And uh, I just wanted to read this, this short section to, to give us a glimpse, because surely none of us fall into this camp when it comes to prayer. 
She says this, something happens after a while. I don't know what, but something happens and the words get synchronized with the person's heartbeats. And then you are actually praying without ceasing which has a really tremendous mystical effect on the whole outlook. I mean, that's the whole point of it, more or less. I mean, you do it to purify your whole outlook and to get an absolutely new conception of what everything's about. Lane had finished eating. Now, as Franny paused, he sat back and lit a cigarette and watched her face. She was still looking abstractly ahead of her, past his shoulder, and seemed scarcely aware of his presence. But the thing is, the marvelous thing is, When you first start doing it, you don't even have to have faith in what you're doing. I mean, even if you're terribly embarrassed about the whole thing, it's perfectly all right. I mean, you're not insulting anybody or anything. In other words, nobody asks you to believe a single thing when you first start out. You don't even have to know or think about what you're saying. See, that that is a terrible perspective on prayer. And when I, when I first read this when I was in college, I, and mystical and so enchanting and all that, I, I, I really romanticized it and thought, what a great thing, you know? You just start praying to something somewhere with some kind of words. And then magically it just becomes special. It becomes real. But how distant is what she is talking about in Nehemiah's prayer? You see... Nehemiah cries out not because of duty or obligation or habit. He calls out because he believes that God is over all, that God is all-powerful, that he is sovereign and he is mighty and that he is central in everything. And he cries out because he knows that he has sinned against Almighty God and that he is desperate for God to move. And he goes to God in prayer because There's no one else that he could go to. The Lord is above all, and in doing that, he declares the glory and the greatness of God. And we are invited into that still. And we are invited into that with confidence, and I would would go as far as to say more clarity than Nehemiah. And I say that because of this. We we go to the Father, just like Nehemiah, acknowledging his greatness and his love and his faithfulness. But we also go, we also go because of the work of Christ. If you would look, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And I'm going to give you a second to get there because, as you're finding your way, you need to go to places like this. All right? You need to open Bibles and find these things. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The confidence that he's talking about there, he also talks about In Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from from an evil conscience. Sprinkled clean with the blood of Jesus. We, we, We draw near in confidence to the Father because He is faithful, He is great, He is 
steadfast in his love, and also because Christ, through the cross, has made a way for us to draw near with confidence. And then thirdly, we go to him in confidence because of the help of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul says this in chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. We, we go in confidence because of the character of God, the character of the Father, because of the work of Christ, and through the power of the Spirit who interprets our very words into groanings that are too deep for words. And that's where we go when we struggle. And when we fail to pray as we ought, there is grace. You see, that, that's the thing that keeps this from being the legalism, that keeps this from being just ritual of just pray these words that you don't even think about. What prevents that and also lifts us up when we fail is the grace of God. See, I don't pray as I ought because I am not as I ought to be. But I join with Nehemiah's call that says, Lord, you have redeemed us. You have ransomed us. Out of captivity, out of sin, you have ransomed us. And I can come to you with confidence. So if you are struggling in prayer, If you're struggling with this discipline of prayer, this active devotion that celebrates what God has done in us, if you're struggling with neglect or busyness or unbelief, go to him. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. And when you do that, when you draw near to him, because It is a grace that he permits you into his presence, right? Pray because he allows it. The maker of all that is seen and unseen gives ear to you. You, really, of all people. Like, you've got friends that ignore your phone calls. But but he, he gives ear to you. He listens. And when we do that, when, when we draw near what we really believe about him. We we, we declare his unmatched greatness, his unrivaled faithfulness, and his unending love. Let's turn to him now. O Lord God of heaven, we come near to you not 
Not because we are powerful, but because you are. Not because we are perfect, but because you are. Not because we are holy, but because you are. And as messed up as we are, we actually come in confidence. Not of our own works, but the work of Christ. Not because of our own words, but because of the words and the groaning of the Holy Spirit. We come to you, Father. We come to you acknowledging that we can call you Father because of your great mercy. God, we need you. We are desperate for you. Teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to hunger after you. Teach us what it means to believe you. That we might celebrate. That we might celebrate not not out of just activity, but out of love. A discipline that celebrates your grace. Pray, Spirit, that you would move in this time, that you would stir us to pray for one another, to care for one another. Instruct our hearts, Spirit. Help us to listen to your sermon. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.